Welcome to the Women's Bible Study Podcast, a ministry of Sheridan House. We continue today in the series, God's Masterpiece, a study of women in the Bible. If you've missed any part of this series, you can find it and many others online at SheridanHouse.org. We hope you enjoy today's lesson. Well, good morning. And um, I'm sort of sad to say we're saying goodbye to Ruth and Naomi and Boaz. Aren't we kind of sad? It's been such a beautiful time of learning about their life together and um, their strength. But guess what? We've got some more ladies to take a look at in in the Old Testament. And um, so if you'll turn with me, um, first of all, to 2 Kings 4. And um, then we're going to go back into um, First Kings. We are going to be talking about a woman that um, the prophets that we are that are famous prophets, Elisha, one of the famous prophets, um, had contact with. We're going to talk about her in just a minute. But I read a really interesting quote by an esteemed commentator, J. Vernon McGee. Maybe some of you are familiar with that name. He said this: Frankly. I believe that the different tragedies that have struck our land in recent years have been a warning to our nation. The hurricane storms and other tragedies that have swept across our land have, I think, been warnings from God to stop and change our ways. He wrote that in 1991, 30 years ago. Amazing. But isn't that amazing how apropos it is today? Is God saying that to us today, 30 years later? You know, one, one of the things that he may be saying is, who are you really worshiping? Who is the object of your worship, he may be saying. And I, I think that that is so profound that we think through what is it in our lives that is the most important to us. We're going to be looking at that in a one of God's Uh, masterpieces in this story, we will see what she worships and what is the most important to her. But as we begin that, I want us to know that we are going to be looking at a prophet. And um, I want us to take a look at what the background is, and that's first on your outline. What is the background? The first part of the background is that we are looking at the life of a prophet. So A on your outline, who was Elisha? Who was Elisha? Now, his predecessor um, was the one, you may remember, it's probably one of the most famous, dramatic stories in all of the Old Testament. His predecessor was Elijah. We remember that name very well because, remember, he was the one that challenged the nation of Israel, who are you worshiping? Who is the most important to you? Just kind of like that quote by uh, J. Vernon McGee. And so I want us to take a look at that. So keep your finger there in 2 Kings chapter 4 and turn with me to 1 Kings 18, verse 20. And it's kind of a long story, but it's just so dramatic and I think really points and sets the stage for what we're going to be studying this morning about with Elisha and the woman that he encounters. Look with me to verse 20. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to the people and said, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? Is the, if the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Verse 22, then Elijah said to the people, I, even I, and only I, and only I am left as a prophet of the Lord. In other words, I'm the only prophet around right now, he said. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Verse 23, let two bulls be given to us. And verse 24, and you can call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord, And the God who answers by fire is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. Verse 25, then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose for yourself one bull and prepare it first. You are many and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire on it. And they took the bull that was given them and they prepared it, called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon saying, oh, Baal, answer us. 
but there was no voice. Are we surprised? No. And no one answered, and they limped around the altar and they, that they had made, and at noon Elijah mocked them and said, cry aloud, for if he's God, either he is musing, or maybe he's relieving himself. And some of the more modern translations say, maybe he's going to the bathroom. Come on, call louder. Get his attention. Um, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves, as was their custom, with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as noonday passed, midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation, and there was no voice. No one answered, and no one paid attention. Are we surprised? No. Verse 30, then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. And he said, fill four jars with water, pour it out on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. Then he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God of Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that these people may know you, O Lord, our God, and that you have, and that they will turn their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord is God. He is God. What a moment. Wow. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there? When we get to heaven, we'll say, Lord, show us the, the uh, video of that moment on Mount Carmel with Elijah. It's amazing. And it's such a question for us to ask, who are we serving? Who are we serving? Who are we worshiping? Who is important to us right now, particularly as we're going through these troubling times in our country? When it was time for Elijah to choose a successor in chapter 19, verses 15 and 16, uh, the Lord said to him, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive... And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Malehlah, you will anoint as a prophet in your place. So Elisha, uh, who is in our story today, was Elijah's successor. That is who the prophet was. Notice from verse 16, be on your outline, who chose Elisha? to be the successor. Clearly, it was God. Um, You shall anoint Elisha, the prophet, in your place. It was God. Clearly, it was God. It was his instruction to Elisha. Neither Elijah nor Elisha initiated this. God did. That's such an important principle for us to remember. There's an old Puritan quote that says it like this. God seeth not as men seeth, neither doth he choose as men because they are fit, but he fits men because he hath chosen them. Now, let's put that in modern day English. A little weird, isn't it? The seeth and the doth and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, here's, here's what it says. God sees not as men sees, neither does he choose as men because they are fit, but he fits men because he has chosen them. Isn't that good? Isn't that an encouragement to us? Because I don't know about you, but I don't feel so special. (laughs) And so, you know, Lord, if you're calling me to do a task, you know, you're going to have to fit me for it. Because, you know, I'm I'm not ready to do what you've called me to do in my own strength. So true. The disciples that God chose. Think about uh, Jesus' disciples. Oh, my goodness. Ordinary, plain fishermen. The only thing that they were really good at until the Holy Spirit descended on them later on after Jesus ascended into heaven, the only ability they really had was to drop nets into the water. They were good at that, weren't they? And pull them out again. But God was able to mold and make them and shape them. 
as, just as well as the women that we have been studying. Esther, goodness sake, this little orphan as we've studied uh, in the fall, uh, a foster child that, um, uh, that uh, Mordecai took care of becomes the, the God's choice to save his nation, Israel. Then Ruth, a foreigner, a new follower of Yahweh, and how amazing that God took them chose them, and then fit them for the tasks that they had to do. God chooses a people that he's going to use. So often, it's the ignorant, the lost and the last, the least and the lowest. Isn't that comforting? That's comforting to me. (laughs) But anyway, and so God appoints and anoints Elisha, and we see him encounter another woman who God uses in his divine design and makes her her his masterpiece, a woman who knew whom she worshipped and whom she served. Who was the Shunammite woman? Next on your outline. Look with me. Turn now back to where you've got your finger, Second Kings verse, chapter 4, verse 8. One day Elisha went to Shunam, and a wealthy woman li- where a wealthy woman lived who urged him to eat some food. So whenever he passed that way, he would turn in there to eat food. And she said to her husband, Behold now, I know that this is a holy man of God who is continually passing our way. Let's make him a small room on the roof with walls and put there for him a bed, a chair, a, 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 a table, a chair, a lamp, so that whenever he comes, he can go in there. A, what do we know about her from that passage? What do we know about her? Number one, she clearly was a woman of means. She was a woman of means. Shunem was an area of, in Israel, so she was Jewish. And I find it interesting that all the narratives we will be studying about her, her name is never mentioned. Isn't that interesting? I wonder what, what that's all about. Um, but verse 8 says she was a woman of means. Notice that her house was big enough for her to be able to build an extra room on the roof. All their material needs apparently were met. They they seem to have, I'm reading between the lines, but seems to have a communicative marriage where she can say to him, you know what, we love having Elisha, this man of God here. Why don't we build, and he's listening, and it looks like they have a very communicative uh, marriage. There seems to be a respect for her husband, but interestingly, he's kind of in the background of the story. Later, we'll mention that he is old, so perhaps he was really too old to play an active role. We're not quite sure why he's not more involved in this story. But number two, another uh, trait that we see in her is that she had a love of God's word. Verse 8 again, every time he, talking about Elisha, passed there, she fed him. She invited him for dinner. Um, It's implied, but it's as if she uh, knew that he, you know, that he was going to be in town. He heard, she listened, when is Elisha coming again? And uh, when are you coming back to town, Elisha? Because it's like she really loved hearing from him and hearing God's word and, and, and listening to him and um, uh, having an openness to what he had to teach the community and her about the Lord. You almost sense a desire for him, this holy man of God, to come and stay so that she could pick his brain and learn more. A respect and a desire for God we see in her. Number three, she clearly had a heart of hospitality, a a heart of hospitality. Every time he came to town, he would eat there. And now she wanted to put an addition on the roof for him. Having grown up in the mission field, I have experienced the joy that we can experience when we are hospitable. Because we were um, away from our family and friends in the United States, um, when another missionary would come to town, my parents would always have him for dinner. And as a little girl, I remember just enjoying sitting and hearing and listening as they talked about their work and what this one missionary was doing in Africa and what this missionary was doing in Korea. And, we would, and I would just sit and just be mesmerized hearing what God was doing because of hospitality. One woman who, um, at the time, I didn't know she was going to end up being uh, famous, that sat at our table was Corrie Ten Boom. 
I must have been, I don't know, under five years old. And um, I, I just was fascinated hearing her stories in her very broken English. And I'll never forget her telling a story. She was saying that how she administered in the concentration camp and how she was um, tried to help with the women that were in her particular area. And that one day she had a pitcher of water and she was going from woman to woman to woman to woman, giving them water, giving them water. And all of a sudden she realized that her pitcher never became empty. Can you imagine the impact that that had on this little girl? Yes. When we minister, we're the ones that get blessed. When we open our homes, we are the ones that are blessed. When we have a heart of, of hospitality, we are the ones that are blessed. Those of you who open your doors and homes for small groups and um, Zooming for prayer times and for sharing homework and all those things, you, we, they are, that, those times are such a blessing in our hearts, aren't they? We're the ones that are blessed when we are reaching out to other people. Number four. She had a practical spirituality in her home. Not only did she open her home and have the gift of hospitality, it was sacrificial. She proposed to build onto her house so that this man of God would always be taken care of. Again, verse 9 and 10, we just read. And she said to her husband, Behold now, I know that this is a holy man of God who is continually passing our way. Let us make a small room on our roof with walls and put there a bed, a table, a chair, and lamp, so that whenever he comes... He can go there. That was sacrificial because in the day, the roof was a place that they often gathered in the evening in the cool of the, of the, the sun going down as a family or friends or, or guests, and they would sit up there and enjoy each other. It was almost like a family room concept. And so she was proposing to sacrifice that um, area and space so that this man could be ministered to her. Notice her focus is on Elisha's comfort, a table lamp. Now, there is a difference between true hospitality and entertaining. Entertaining is focusing on a prideful showing off. Look at me and my things. I want you to see what I have. Hospitality is focused on the individual. It is ministry. It is to bless the gifts. I think hospitality really should be called his patality. Don't you think? Wouldn't that be good? Yeah. And isn't it interesting? And those of you who are, you know, word scholars and so forth, isn't it? It's very close to hospital. I wonder if there's a connect verbally. I should have looked that up. Why didn't I think of it? But anyway, hospital, a place where people can come and be nourished and cared for and loved, loved on. There have been so many interesting stories out there. Maybe you've seen them on Facebook of uh, people who have ministered and been hospitable, his fatality, his fatality, during this uh, tragic storm that's hit Texas. And I remember seeing one story about a young couple who took in, there was a, a delivery gal and her um, truck got broken. I don't know if she was UPS or um, Amazon Prime or whatever, but her, her vehicle uh, went down for five days, and this young couple said, come on in. And she stayed with this young couple for five days. Now, do you think they were Christians? Yeah. Absolutely. The article didn't say so, but I just know they were. But anyway, <laughs> we see a lot of that, and that is what God is calling us to, and that is what we're observing in this Shunammite woman. B, she was blessed, and now she was going to be blessed. She had blessed and was now going to be blessed. She had been blessing Elisha, this man of God, and now in turn, he desires to bless her. And that's such a principle of scripture that when we bless, God loves to bless us in return. Now, we want to be very careful that that can't be our motivation. Okay, Lord, hey, I'm going to do this now, so would you please do that for me? That can't be our motivation. But when we out of gratitude for all that God has done in our lives, minister to other people. It opens the windows of heaven for him to be able to bless um, us as well. 
I think one of the most dramatic examples of that was the Last Supper. And you remember how uh, the, during the Last Supper, the, the disciples were sitting around talking about, let's see, okay, you know, things are going well. I mean, we had this triumphant entry into Jerusalem yesterday. Wow, I wonder who's going to be the greatest now in this kingdom. Remember that? And here was Jesus. If they had been a little bit sensitive, they must have seen, knew that he was going to be going to the cross this tragic thing that was about to happen to him. And had they been a little bit more observant, wouldn't you have thought they would have seen it in his face? Wouldn't they have sensed this time in Jesus' heart? So what did he do? He got up from the table, quietly took off his robe, got a basin, and began washing their feet. They had been blessed by being with Almighty God. And so he is teaching them, when you've been blessed, you need to bless others. He did that as an example. What an example that we need to learn as well. One of the most, um, you, you heard this story, Bob told this, he loves to tell Sheridan House stories, but aren't they an encouragement? Yes. Oh, I love it. But <clears throat> last January, I think he told you a story about how at the end of the year, because of COVID and everything, we're, the staff was a little bit, oh, about, you know, what's the end of the year giving going to be like? And they were um, a little nervous about it and monies were not coming in real well. And um, kind of like, by the way, um, the 5K, worried about that. And here the most amazing, and I worked so hard to get every penny. Can I just tell you? No. Anyway, um, so uh, uh, back to the end of the year, they were concerned about that. And we found out that one of our single moms that lives in one of our triplexes, um, her, her car broke down, and it was, there's no fixing it. And so staff got together, and they said, you know, do, do you think we've never done this? Nobody has donated a car in the, in the recent weeks, which we, seems like we always have a car that's donated. We didn't have one at that time. And so they're saying, should we purchase a used car for her? And they were going, okay, but this is the end of the year. The monies aren't coming in real well. Uh, should we? And so they said, you know what? Let's do it. So Sheridan House purchased a car. You remember this picture of the single mom and her joy and delight of, of receiving this car so she could get to work and get her, her children to where they needed to go and so forth. And just such a, a wonderful moment in her life. And guess what happened? You know what happened. The greatest end-of-the-year gifts began to pour into Sheridan House. When we give, it out of gratitude, not, okay, God, did you see that? Not like that. But, Lord, I'm so grateful for who you are. I'm so grateful that I can count on you to take care of my needs. I'm so grateful for who you are. I'm so grateful to be your daughter and your child. Then it, it enables God to pour out upon us. We've experienced that so many times here at Sheridan House, and I know you have in your lives personally as well. Wow. Back to the story. Verse 11 through 13. One day he came there, talking about Elisha, and he turned into the chamber, the, the room that, that she had built for him, and rested there. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, call the Shunammite. And when he called her, she stood before him and and he said, and said to him, Stay, say now to her, see, you have taken all this trouble for us. Um, and what, what can be done for you? Would you have a word spoken on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? She answered, I dwell among my own people. Number one, she was content in spite of her circumstances. Clearly, there was contentment in this home. Verse 13, Elisha was saying, hey, is there a favor I could ask for the king, from the king? I mean, do you want to live on the palace grounds or something? Or you know, can, can he send some treasury funds to you? Or is there anything I can do for you? Or you know, a, maybe a military position for extended family? How can I, what can I do to express my gratitude? Notice in verse 13, second part, she says, I dwell among my people. In other words, she says, I have a life here. I'm content here. I'm, I, I'm filled with joy being here. 
I have no need or want to live in the court or to have, um, you know, have my family be a part of the military or whatever it is. In other words, I'm content with my life. God has blessed me and I need nothing else other than what God has ordained for me is basically what she's saying. So as she says that, A on your outline, let's take a look a minute at what her circumstances were. Verse 14 and 15, moving on. Elisha pressed further with his servant. He wasn't content. He said, you know what? I really want to bless this woman. She's been such a blessing to us. She has sacrificed and built us this room up here that we get to stay in every time we come to town. We don't have to worry about you know, checking into um, Holiday Inn or whatever. We have our own place that we can, we can be in. So let's see. She, she says she doesn't need anything, but I, I want you to really look, and let's figure out what we can do for her. And so he, Elisha, said, verse 15, 14, 15, what then is to be done for her? Uh, Jehazi said, well, she has no son, and her husband is old. He said, call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the doorway, and he said, at this season, about this time next year, you will embrace a son. Wow. And of course, we know that she would have wanted a son. We've talked about this in the past, that barrenness was something, you know, that not able to, not having, being able to have children is a tragedy in our day, but we have other alternatives. We have adoption, and we have um, in vitro, and we have all these other options that we can do, foster care that we can be a part of. But in that day, it was not only a heartbreak not to be able to bear children, it was a, uh, a disgrace because that was what was expected from women at that time in history. But look at her reply. Be on your outline. What was her reply? I love it in verse 16. I love it in the um, New uh, Living Translation, modern translation. No, my Lord, she cried. Oh, man of God, don't deceive me and get my hopes up like that. I love it. She's so honest. She's in disbelief. Are you kidding me? You know, I've been having, wanting to have children for, forever. Don't tease me. Instead of pining away for what she did not have in the past, number two, she chose a grateful heart. When she was asked, what can I bring to you? What can I, I do? She didn't whine and say, oh, you know, I just oh, wanted children so badly and just my, my tr heart is broken. We never knew about that until Elisha probed and really pressed to find out, is there anything anything in your life that is missing, that is important to you. She, number two, chose a grateful heart. She focused on the blessings, and she focused on blessing others and sacrificially serving. Instead of complaining and talking about her desperate want, she focused on ministering to Elisha. Noticed he didn't even know <laughs> that she was desperately wanting children until her, his servant pressed it and mentioned it. So at that point, next on your outline, what did God do? What did God do? A, he blessed her without her asking. Verse 17, but the woman conceived and she bore a son about that time the following spring as Elisha had said to her. She had, been, she had blessed those people around her and without even asking or thinking that God would uh, be... Um, Totally aware of her deepest longing, she bore a son. Wow. She, she just didn't press for it. She just focused her attention on blessing other people, and God totally blessed her by giving, him, uh, giving her a son. Be on your outline. We will also notice that there is rich mothering in her home, as we're looking at her, some of her traits and so forth. Uh, verse 18 through 21, when the child had grown... He went out one day to his father among the reapers, and he said to his father, Oh, my head, my head. The father said to the servant, Carry him to his mother. And when she, he had lifted him and brought him to his mother, the child sat on her lap until noon, and then he died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, shut the door behind him, and went out. First thing we're going to notice, number one, she cared lovingly for him. 
sat on his lap till noon. Don't you just picture her um, uh, rocking him? And um, I just see a tenderness in her, in her actions, don't you? That she was soothing him, maybe stroking his head where, where it hurt and, and um, desperately praying for him and trying to ease his pain. And then... Number two, she chose the best for him, rocking him, holding him, comforting him until there's nothing else she could do. Nothing else she could do. Stephen Olford, the great pastor of the past, said, when hugging and kissing end in my home, in any home, trouble is on its way. And isn't that true? There needs to be loving, affection, interaction with children today, especially right now in this difficult culture, especially as children are going through such hard times as they're growing up right now, wearing masks to school and all the other things that they need to do. We need to make sure that there's love and a deep affection, and we see that in her as she's ministering to her child. And then we see, see on your outline, a bold faith a bold faith. Look at verses 22 through 26. Then she called to her husband and said, send me one of your servants and one of my donkeys that I may quickly go to the man of God and come back again. And he said, why will you go to him today? It is neither a new moon or Sabbath. And she said, all is well. Then she saddled the donkey and said to her servant, urge the animal on. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. So she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. When the man of God saw her coming, he said to Gehazi, his servant, Look, there's a Shumanite. Run at once to meet her and say, Is all well with you? Is all well with your husband? Is all well with your child? And what did she answer? Amazing. All is well. Why? Number one, she did not give up. I think she said all is well because I think she knew it would be. I think that she knew she was going to Elisha. In other words, she was going to God. She was going straight to God. And that would have been the way that they would have you know, gone to God is to go to a man of God as she's praying to her heavenly father. She knew exactly where to bring her distress and who was able to help her in her distress. Verse 27 through 30. And when she came to the mountain, to the man of God, she caught hold of his feet. In other words, she fell flat on her face before him, held on to his feet. And Gehazi came to push her away. But the man of God said, leave her alone, for she's in bitter distress, and the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. Then she said, did I, not, did I ask my Lord for a son? Did I not say, do not deceive me? Then down to verse 30, the mother of the child said, as the Lord lives, very pivotal, as the Lord lives and as yourself lives, as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So he arose and followed her. Do you see what's going on here? Number two, she trusted God. She trusted God. As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, she said. She couldn't believe that God would give her this miracle child for a very short time. She felt that his life was in God's hands. So she clings to Elisha for a miracle because she trusts God for a miracle for her miracle son. Hence, her taking her, him up and laying him on Elisha's bed before she left. Wow. She wasn't planning for a funeral, but for a resurrection. She believed in God to that degree. And we need to have that kind of faith and, and belief for our children. We can never, never, never give up on our children. How desperately our children need our fervent, catch-a-hold-of-God's-feet prayers for them, especially today. Uh, there's a story, and you may know about this, Mrs. Charles and John Wesley had uh, uh, their mother had 17 children and every single day she prayed personally and individually with all those children 
Not only did she pray with them individually, 17 kids, and having to do laundry by hand and hanging them up by hand or beating them on a rock or whatever they did in that, that day, feeding them, getting the groceries, all those other things. Every single day prayed with each one of them individually and then talked to them about their spiritual condition every single day. Very interesting. Wesley said of her mother, I learned more from her than all of the theologians in England. Amazing, amazing. What a call. So, the Shunammite woman, great faith. And next on your outline, what was the outcome of her faith? Look at verses 32 through 35. When Elisha came to her house and he saw the child lying dead on his bed, so he went in and shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. Then he went up, lay on the child, putting his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, his hands on his hands, and he stretched himself upon him, and the flesh of the child became warm. Then he got up again and walked back and forth in the room, went up and stretched himself upon him. The child sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Wow, what a miracle, what a miracle. A, notice very importantly, that Elisha begins with prayer. Elisha begins with prayer. Uh, Which procedure should I use, Lord? What do I do here? Uh, I know this is a miracle child. I, I sensing that you want a miracle to bring him back to life. How do I do this thing? What do you want me to do? And I feel that that um, he has gone to to the Lord to say, how can I most minister to this mother and to this child? And then he doesn't give up at the very beginning, after the first attempt, when he's feeling some warmth coming into the child's body, he continues, he perseveres, he continues to to minister. B, he does whatever it takes, lying on the dead child, mouth to mouth, he gives himself totally. And that is how we need to be ministering to the people around us, isn't it? Totally giving giving of ourselves. C, what were the joyful results a miracle. Look at verse 35 again. The child sneezed seven times and he opened his eyes. The child opened his eyes. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Elisha's prayers were answered. The mother's faith was rewarded. Incredible. The next time we meet the Shunammite woman is much later, actually four chapters later in the Bible. First, we've seen her ministering to Elisha. And then we see God blessing her with a child. Then we see her struggling through this moment of losing her child. Then we notice the, um, we learn about God bringing the child back to life. And now we're going to see yet another aspect of her life. We see obedience, whatever the cost. Obedience, whatever the cost. Much had happened in Israel since this moment that we just read about. Uh, including a war with Syria and an imminent famine in the land. And we see Elisha reaching out to her. Look with me to 2 Kings, uh, go over a couple chapters, chapter 8 and verse 1. It says this, Now Elisha said to the woman whose son had been restored to life, Arise and depart with your household and sojourn wherever you can, for the Lord has called for a famine, and it will come upon the land for seven years. Notice that Elisha, and his concern for her, after she administered to him so much, said, I want you to know something. God has made it very clear there's about to be a famine here in the land. So get yourself out of here, find a place to live, and take care of your household because a famine is about to happen. And he reaches out to her to make sure that she's taken care of. Notice her response. Look at verse 2. So the woman arose... And did according to the word of the man of God, she went with her household and sojourned in the land of the Philistines for seven years. Notice, first of all, A on your outline, it was immediate. The verse says, so the woman aroused. It was not, oh, wow, Elisha, thanks for letting me know, but wow, leave my land? Um, in my household, I don't know, I'm not real comfortable with that. Can I think about it for 24 hours? Let me call my prayer group and get them to all pray with me on it. And let's just make sure that this is really what God has for me. No. So she arose. Immediate response. Wow. B, 
It was without argument. We don't see her arguing, are you really sure, Elisha? I don't know. Um, We've already talked about how important my life is here when you were wanting to give me a, a gift of moving me to the, ca- to the palace or something like that. Um, we learned that about her, um, but it says she immediately went with her house- household. In other words, she had to move her entire household to a pagan land that we learned uh, is the land of the Philistines, which they had very bad blood with Israel, didn't they? Remember David and Goliath? the Philistine, and uh, so there was bad blood with, between them, but she goes ahead and does what, she, what is recommended to her. She moves her household, immediately goes without argument. C, she responds with strength in times of crisis. When she gets back after seven years, she finds her land and property confiscated. Her next crisis Look at verse 3 in verse chapter 8. And at the end of the seven years, when the woman returned from the land of Philistines, she went to appeal to the king for her house and land. Number one, look at how she uses wisdom. She uses wisdom. At the end of her time, she goes right to the source. She goes to the top man, the king, to ask for her land back. She doesn't arrive back and kind of hang out. Oh, my, in the neighborhood. Oh, where is our wow, can, do you think we can get our land back? You know, can I stay with you for a while here? Can we figure this all out? She doesn't arrive back and hang out. She goes right to the throne, right to the king. Number two, she takes action. She uses wisdom by going to the, to the king, and she takes action. Instead of throwing up her hands and wondering what to do, now that I'm headed back, Instead of whining and complaining, oh, my goodness, life is so difficult. You know, first I couldn't get pregnant, and and then I finally get pregnant, and the child dies, and then a famine comes, and then I have to move, and now I'm moving back, and now I don't have my land. And she could have been whining and complaining about how difficult life was because she had a lot of difficulties that she had had to deal with. But instead, we see her go straight to the source. She goes into action and she goes through the correct channels. And then we see God going operational, but God, but God. Next on your outline, God is always in control. Proverbs 21.1 says, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hands of the Lord. Let me read that again. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hands of the Lord. Let's not forget that today. If that was a truth when that proverb was written years and years ago, is it not the truth today? Do we have to worry about the control of the world or the control of our country or or any of those things? A king's heart, a leader's heart, in other words, is a stream of water in God's hands. He orders, he orchestrates. What an important concept for us to remember today when things seem so a little bit out of control uh, internationally and nationally. Wow. Uh, Look with me to verses 4 through 6, and we'll see the truth of this um, as as we read these verses. Now the king was talking with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, saying, Tell me all the great things that Elisha has done. And while he was talking... The king, telling the king how Elisha had restored dead to life, behold, the woman whose son had been restored to life appeared, appealed to the king for her house and land. And Gehazi said, Oh, my lord, O oh, oh king, here is the woman, and here's her son, whom Elisha restored to life. And when the king asked the woman, she told him. So the king appointed an official for her, saying, Restore all that was hers together with all the produce from the fields from her, from her day, that she left the, la- left the land until now. Do you love it? Gehazi just happened to be in the court telling the king about her as she arrives. Does it kind of remind you of Esther, the story of Esther, when the king just happened to not be able to sleep one night 
and asked him to bring in the history books to read to him. That will put you to sleep real quickly. And learned what Mordecai had done as Haman is at home plotting his hanging. Just happened. Just happened. May we not forget that God just happens all the time in our lives. It's not just a biblical truth. It's in our lives. Our problem is we need to watch for them. I'll never forget, Bob and I were talking about that as I was preparing this lesson. He goes, oh my goodness, remember that just happened when I was headed out. We were, this is way back and we're in the old campus. And um, he had... He, he was headed out, getting in his car to head to the Robert O. Law Foundation. They had said that they would give us $5,000 at Sheridan House. And so he was getting in, just getting in his car, getting it started, and all of a sudden his admin came running out, and she said, Bob, wait, 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 wait. Judge Miller is on the phone. And Judge Miller was a family judge at that time. And um, so he's like, oh, you know, I'm going to be late. And for Bob, if, he, if he's not 15 minutes before the hour that he's supposed to be there, he's late. So he was like, oh, I'm not going to get there at 9 o'clock. I'm, I'm going to get there at, you know, 9.15. Wow. So he, but he thought, okay, Judge Miller has been so wonderful to us with the boys and so forth. And so he went back in, got on the phone, and he said, hey, Judge, can I, would it be okay for me to call you back a little bit later in the day? I'm headed out to um, the Robert O. Law Foundation. He goes, wait a minute, did you say Robert O. Law? And Bob said, yeah. He goes, oh, my goodness, he's a friend of mine. I just sold him my house. Let me call him. Just happened that as he's making his way to Robert O. Law is when Judge Miller calls. Bob just happened to tell him what he was doing. Judge Miller just happened to say, oh, he's my friend, let me call him. So when Bob got to the Robert O. Law Foundation, the man said, hey, I didn't realize that, that Judge Miller was involved at Sheridan House. Let me write you a check for $50,000. Going for five and got 50. Just happened just happened. He loves to do that in our lives. We need to be watching for them. Maybe we need to journal. Maybe next to our grateful journal. Um, by the way, I hit 10,000 this morning. I need to figure out, give me some ideas on how to celebrate that. Wow, amazing. But anyway, along with our grateful journal, maybe our just happened journal where we journal the things time and time and time again of what God has done that we're like, wow, only God. Because it happens all the time in our lives. We're just too busy <laughs> to notice it sometimes. Wow. A, God's providential hand. Just as the king was hearing the miraculous story, she walks in. And the king asked the woman and she told him, did this really happen? This is your son? He asks, and again, there are never coincidences with God, only God incidences. We should take the word coincidence out of our vocabulary. God incidents. B, a divine appointment in God's divine design. This was his plan, his order, his orchestration of what he wanted to accomplish in this blesser's life, his masterpiece that he used for his divine design. See, end of the story, verse 6 again. And when the king asked the woman, she told him, and so the king appointed an official for her, saying, restore all that was yours, restore all that was hers, together with the produce of the fields from the day until she left the land until now. Not only did she get her land back, her property back, she got it restored with interest, all her produce um, was restored to her that she would have lost during the seven years. Do you love it? Greg Haslam said, God is quite capable of guarding the rights of the marginalized and weak. Of the marginalized and weak. Amazing. What happened? Number one, God did guard the rights of this woman who had been through such a difficult time. What an encouragement to us as we face the challenges of our lives that God will guard our rights. But here's the thing. We've got to be watching. 
We've got to be expectant. We need to be praying. We need to be watching for the answers to come our way. We need to be looking for the just happens in our lives. Wow. Number two, what was the divine design for the masterpiece, this Shunammite woman? We don't know really all of it, this side of heaven, but what we do know is that she's been a role model for us, hasn't she? Number A, she ministered greatly. The first thing she did was minister greatly to God's servant. What can we do to minister to those who tirelessly minister to us? You know, I'm thinking about some of the young, young pastors. I have sort of a vested interest in that. But some of these young pastors right now that are going through such uncharted times, you know, is my church going to survive? I mean, you know, so many of my people are watching online now. What's going to happen down the road? Will we ever be able to meet again? Will we ever be able to take off our masks and sing together, praising God? And many of those young pastors, and not just young pastors, but all pastors, are probably discouraged and, and wondering, what is this going to look like in the future? And I, may we all be sensitive and be on the lookout, like this woman was, to see how we can encourage. B, she was and is an example. We don't know how God used her example in her neighborhood, in her day. We don't know all of that. But we are studying her now, and her story helps us. This wonderful woman stands as a model for all of us who sometimes feel overwhelmed or helpless in the hands of our world. And here's the other thing, the most important thing, to marvel at God. He is always just. He is always compassionate. He is always trustworthy. He is always love. And he loves to do the just happened in our lives. He loves to do that. That's his nature. That's his nature. In summary, let's apply that example into our lives, being hospitable, being hispitable to the people that he brings in our path, to be, like we talked about last week, hope dispensers. Are we dispensing hope around the, the, the lives of the people around us, to be quick to obey and do the right thing, even if it's difficult, but most especially to learn to trust God and know that he is just and will carry out his divine design and loves to use his people as his masterpieces. For previous lessons or other resources, please visit sharedinhouse.org or call us at 954-583-1552. We hope you can join us again next week.